This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. Matthew, chapter 13, we will be looking this morning at verses 51 and 52. Hear the Word of God, Matthew, chapter 13, verse 51. Jesus has been teaching his disciples, and he asks, Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for its power. Thank you, Father, for its faithfulness in setting before us our Savior. And now, Father, we pray that your word would do its work in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Howard Hendricks, in his book, Teaching to Change Lives, describes a cartoon, cartoon that is presented in two frames. In each of these frames, there is a man, Mr. Brown, who is speaking with a young woman in his office. In the first frame, Mr. Brown is a public school superintendent, and he says... I'm awfully sorry, Miss Smith, but after reviewing your application for a teaching position, we've decided we can't use you. We must have someone with at least five years' experience in teaching and preferably with a master's degree in education. In the second frame, Mr. Brown is a Sunday school superintendent. And he says... You'd make a wonderful teacher, Miss Smith. I realize you haven't been a Christian very long, and you, you feel you don't know much about the Bible. But there's no finer way to learn the Bible than to teach it. And you say you have no experience working with kids in this age group. But I'm convinced you'll really grow to understand and love them. Really, Miss Smith, all we're looking for is a willing heart. Well, Hendricks comments, What a sad but true commentary on, on our low regard for the teaching of God's Word. To teach children that 2 plus 2 equals 4, you need a minimum of four years of higher education. To teach the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ, anything is good enough. Well, Hendrick's point is well taken. And while I don't think we need to apply the same standards that the public schools do for their teachers to those who would teach in the church, especially at certain levels, that does not mean, however that the Bible does not have standards for those who stand up and teach in the church. 
Well, in our passage today that we've just read, Jesus is talking about those who would be teachers of the Word of God. He's speaking here to his disciples uh, and to the crowd, but particularly here to his disciples with an eye toward their future role as teachers, as leaders, indeed as apostles of the New Covenant Church. Now, I think as we look at these verses, what Jesus has to say applies most directly to those who serve as ordained pastor teachers in the church. However, what he says also applies at least in some way to all believers in the church today who teach in some capacity, whether we're talking about ministers of the gospel or whether we're talking about those who teach Sunday school in the kindergartner class or those who teach the primaries in vacation Bible school or those who teach their own children in the home in the course of training them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I believe these same qualifications would apply even for parents who are faithful to train up their children. But even if you don't teach in any formal or informal way, even if you are uh, not a parent, even if you have no children, then I think that these words still apply to you as one, as a Christian, but also uh, to you as someone who will be under teachers in the church and therefore should know what to look for. And so this passage has something to say to all of us. Well, Jesus is wrapping up this teaching he's been given about the nature of the kingdom of heaven. If you've been with us in this series, you know Jesus has been teaching through a series of parables that he gave about the nature of the kingdom, about who he himself is. And when we come to verse 51, interestingly enough, Jesus asks for feedback. And he leaves them with one final instruction as they have been receiving and hearing Uh, processing everything that Jesus has been teaching. The main instruction is this. A teacher in the kingdom of God must be adequately qualified. A teacher in the kingdom of God must be adequately qualified. What does that qualification include? Well, Jesus in these verses gives us three criteria that we need to meet if we are going to be teachers certainly in the church, but even, as I say, as parents in the home. What are they? Well, let's take a look. First of all, a teacher in the church must have an adequate understanding of the Bible. Teacher in the church must have an adequate understanding of the Bible. After all, that's the textbook, right? And the teacher must understand the Bible. Look at verse 51. Jesus says, have you understood all these things? Now, After all of this teaching that he's been giving them, and the next paragraph indicates that this was the conclusion of this discourse that Jesus gave, he asks them a question. He says, have you understood all these things? In other words, Jesus wants to make sure that his students are getting it. He he applies a, a good teaching technique here. He is concerned not just to say what he has to say, but to make sure that those who are listening to him have understood the lesson. And Jesus is saying, have I made myself clear? Do you understand what we're talking about? Uh, the, the word that he uses translates, uh, translated as understand has a root that means, uh, in its parts, it has the idea of bringing together. 
And so Jesus is basically saying, has this come together for you? Is this falling into place, this teaching about the kingdom, together with what you already know from the scriptures, what I'm teaching you now, is it coming together? Is it beginning to gel for you? That's what Jesus asks. He wants to know that they understood. Well, they give their answer. Yes, they answer. Readily and quickly. Now, if you know the rest of the Gospels, you know that uh, later performance at times on the part of Jesus' disciples might uh, indicate that this ready yes uh, was perhaps somewhat optimistic. But I think it was certainly honest. And I think as Jesus was teaching them, they were hearing him, they were understanding what he was saying. Uh, They were beginning to assimilate that into their understanding of Jesus and the kingdom and what was going on. Uh, They do acknowledge that they understand what Jesus is talking about. Well, Jesus is equipping these followers, and especially his closest disciples, to be preachers and teachers in the kingdom. But by asking this question, Jesus emphasizes something else. Before they can preach, before they can teach, before they can be in a position to instruct others... They themselves must be learners. They themselves must become educated in this subject of the kingdom of the Lord and a right understanding of the Bible. They need to come to an adequate, if not understanding, uh, if not a rather exhaustive understanding of the Bible. They need to at least have the basic facts, basic framework in place. After all, How can they teach to others what they themselves do not understand? Now, that principle obviously applies uh, whatever subject you're teaching, uh, in whatever context you're teaching, whether school or in the church. The teacher has to understand what he or she is trying to teach. Uh, Otherwise, you will simply be uh, passing along your own confusion to your students. I'm reminded of the saying that I heard early on, A mist in the pulpit creates a fog in the pew. The point, of course, being the preacher needs to understand what he's talking about if he wants to entertain any hope of anyone else understanding what he is talking about. Well, that applies to all of us who teach. Those who teach the truths of the kingdom need to understand the Bible. They need to have uh, at least a basic grasp of the contents and the overall flow of the Bibles. Again, not exhaustive, but it needs to be adequate. Well, let me give you a few questions to think about, and these would apply, uh, most of them anyway, whether you are actually teaching or not, simply as a, as a believer. Let me ask you, with this uh, thought in mind that we need to understand the Bible, could you, all of you, but especially you who teach, could you give a, a basic bird's-eye view uh, summary of the overall flow of biblical history. In other words, do you understand the nature of the history that lies behind what we read in the Bible? Uh, that's, that's a lot of history. That's a big sweep as you go from Genesis to Revelation, and uh, that's not easy to grasp, at least in its details, and sometimes it's more difficult than that some of the books are not in chronological order. Uh, you may think, well, that, that would be difficult. I would be hard-pressed to give a good survey of Bible history, even in its most rudimentary elements. Well, uh, take heart. I can tell you, I grew up in a solid Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. 
I grew up uh, in a good Sunday school, used GCP materials. And yet when I got to seminary and we started discussing the Bible and the redemptive history and so forth, I realized there were some gaps there and I had to scratch my head and, you know, exile what? Return when? Uh, it, it wasn't GCP's fault. I'm sure I was absent on those Sundays when we covered that in third grade Sunday school. But, uh, you know, I realized that I myself there in seminary needed to do some catch up to really uh, to get up to speed and be able to... Uh, to understand where we were going uh, in these seminary-level Bible classes. Uh, but that certainly can be done. Let me give you the barest of minimums, overview of the Bible. Four points. Creation, fall, redemption, glory. There. You've got it. Crea- there are, the rest is details, of which there are quite a few. Uh, but basically, the creation of heaven and earth, it was good. The fall, uh, when we rebelled against God. Uh, Redemption, which occupies most of the Bible. God's plan of redeeming his fallen people and fallen creation back to himself. And then, of course, glory, glorification, when that process is completed and we are with the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth. Just a way of kind of encapsulating the entire story of the Bible in four words. Another question, could you locate in the Bible some of the key passages, such as man's fall into sin, such as the much-talked-about Ten Commandments, such as the uh, teaching of the Apostle Paul on the resurrection of Christ and our own? Could you name some of these key turning-point passages in the Bible where some of our most foundational doctrines are staked? By the way... um, Genesis 3 is the fall, Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, or Deuteronomy 5, if you want to get the recap, uh, as Moses gave the people when they were going into the promised land. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul on the resurrection, and uh, often preached Easter text, of course. But you need to be familiar, at least with the, the big, key, important passages of the scriptures like that, the turning point passages. Let me ask you another question. Are you reading and studying to grow in your own understanding of the Bible and its theology? We should never be satisfied simply with getting the minimum in mind to teach to another. Now, we will learn that way, but the hope is that you're reading steadily good Christian books, certainly reading the scriptures, first of all, but reading good Christian books about the Bible, about the theology of the Bible in order to grow. Uh, We try to have some good books in that vein on the book table and the library, and I certainly am happy to give recommendations uh, as well. So we want to be growing, and along with that, do you have a sense of how much more there is to learn? Uh, Any of you who have been through uh, seminary classes, certainly, but I wouldn't limit it to that, uh, come away with a double sense, one, of almost being overwhelmed with what you've learned, but also overwhelmed with how much more there is. The Bible's a big book, and the church has been studying it and preaching it and teaching it uh, since the time of Christ for the last 2,000 years. But even before that, if you go back into the Old Testament, and there's a lot to, uh, to learn, a lot to read, a lot to think about, a lot to cover. Uh, and lifetimes would not be enough to exhaust uh, just growing in the, in the study of the Bible and learning it. And speaking of our own lessons, do you work hard to understand the lesson before you teach it, and do you apply it to yourself first? Beware of trafficking in unfelt, unapplied truth. 
Apply it to yourself first. Apply the lesson. Learn the lesson well yourself. And then last, I would just ask, if someone were to ask you, a child or an adult in an adult class, a child of VBS were to ask you, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to know that I'm going to go to heaven? Could you answer that? Could you give just a brief but accurate uh, presentation of the gospel, God's plan of redemption in Christ? And could you cite two or three verses to be able to back up the things that you're saying from Scripture? Could you do that? Well, simple plan. Again, four points. I usually preach in threes. Four is stretching it for me. But here's four. Uh, You think of God is holy. Cannot look on sin. Uh, Man is not holy. We've sinned against God and are under his wrath. God in his grace sent a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for all who would believe in him. And four, we need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so we might be saved. Again, a very rudimentary outline of Basic gospel truths. So the first thing that's required here uh, that Jesus indicates is that we need to have understanding. He asks these budding leaders, have you understood all these things? Understanding, a mental grasp of the truths of Scripture is essential for those who teach. But it's not enough by itself. Uh, Jesus goes on to give a second criterion, and that is... A teacher in the church must be a growing disciple in the kingdom. Must be a growing disciple. Look at verse 52. Jesus says, after they answer yes, Jesus says, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. Now, Jesus' use of the word scribe here is interesting. There's been, if you read the commentaries, no small debate over exactly uh, who it is Jesus is referring to here. What, what scribes are you talking about? Well, a scribe was a title given to those in Judaism who, who were experts in the Old Testament law, God, certainly the Ten Commandments, but all the other laws built around that. And as an expert, he also was not only an expert in the law, but a teacher of the law because of his expertise. Now, when we hear the word scribe, we tend to have a negative reaction to it. Because for us, the word scribe is is rarely alone. Usually it's part of a phrase, right? The scribes and Pharisees. Who? Bad, right? Well, the scribes, certainly, uh, as a class, uh, were experts in the law and, uh, at least in many instances, opposed to Jesus. They were opposed to him, his ministry, his teaching, Uh, They taught a a rather superficial understanding of the law that Jesus exposed in the Sermon on the Mount, where he showed that God's law was concerned not just with our outward behavior, but first and foremost with the heart from which the outward behavior comes. So that Jesus could teach that, uh, that the seventh commandment certainly is concerned that we should not commit adultery, that we should do everything to preserve our own and our neighbor's chastity, to use the language of the catechism. But it's more than that. Jesus was concerned, God is concerned about our hearts, about lust in the heart, uh, about what's going on not just in our outward behavior, but in our hearts. A far higher standard, a much deeper application of the law of God, as God himself explains what he had in mind in the law. And yet, the term here is used fairly neutrally, 
Uh, it may be here if Jesus had in mind a Jewish scribe, certainly one whose allegiance has been transferred now to Christ because he describes him as a scribe who has been trained for the kingdom uh, of heaven. However, I think Jesus is using the word simply to refer to any teacher in the kingdom, and certainly that's how it would apply today. Now notice, he says he's trained for the kingdom. Well, the word they're trained for uh, is a word that's sometimes, sometimes translated disciple. It's the word for disciple, in its noun form, it's the word for a disciple. And so what Jesus is talking about here is someone who has been discipled, equipped, not just in, uh, about the kingdom, but in the kingdom. So he's talking about a believer here, one who is a disciple of Jesus, who has an understanding of the truths of the kingdom, is growing in his understanding of those truths, and in his devotion to the king, the Lord Jesus, the king of the kingdom. Well, what's the point? Well, Jesus is saying to be teachers of others, we must have an understanding of the truth, yes, but we must also ourselves be personal disciples of Jesus. We must ourselves be growing, not just in head knowledge, but in our heart devotion to Jesus. Now, at its most basic level, this means that you are a Christian. God saved the church from unconverted teachers and preachers. Jesus is saying this is someone who is a disciple who is in the kingdom, who has become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It means you've repented of your sin. It means you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior. It means you are following Him as your Lord. It means you obey Him as your King. And you are trying to walk with Him daily in your life. But assuming, uh, although some context, that might not be a, a safe assumption, but assuming one is regenerate in Christ by the Holy Spirit, what does this mean for those of us who teach? Well, it means that a good teacher in the kingdom of heaven is not just someone who knows his stuff, not just somebody who knows their stuff, but also someone who deeply loves Jesus, someone who loves his kingdom, someone who loves to see others come into the kingdom. That's the kind of teachers we want to be. That's the kind of teachers that we need. Now, you can find this modeled in the church in all kinds of contexts. I think specifically of seeing this modeled when I was in seminary. Uh, I don't know what your conception of a Christian seminary is. Uh, no, we didn't wear robes and indulge ourselves in Gregorian chants, secluded and isolated peacefully from the world. That's your image of a seminary. Maybe you need to visit one and have that dispelled. Far from it. Uh, but it was a privilege to study under men who had uh, great God-given intellects, who had uh, uh, been highly educated and were in, engaged in top-level scholarship uh, in, in biblical and theological and historical studies. But you know, the men that struck me most uh, in seminary were those not only at that level intellectually and in terms of scholarship, but who at the same time had a great heart for the church. Either the local congregations they were involved in, or the church at large, the denomination of the larger church, or who were engaged in and concerned about the evangelization of the world, the carrying out of the Great Commission. Um, earlier in our prayer when we prayed for Johann and Stephanie uh, working with Third Millennium, Mike mentioned Richard Pratt. Uh, Dr. Pratt was at Reformed Seminary in Jackson when I was there. He taught Old Testament and biblical interpretation. 
Uh, after that, sometime after, he went to, um, to teach in at, at RTS Orlando. And Richard Pratt was a very bright man. And in fact, while we were there, he was awarded his Doctor of Theology degree from Harvard. Uh, and yet he had a great heart for the church and for the raising up of solid leadership for the church around the world. And out of his uh, teaching at RTS Orlando, Third Mill was born as an effort to uh, assist training pastors and church leaders. And I believe he actually is uh, more now with Third Mill. He may still teach some at the Orlando campus. Uh, but that's the kind of thing I mean. Someone whose who's theology, whose love for Christ is not constricted to the ivy walls of academia, but is out making a difference in the world. And he's just one example. But you see, that's the kind of teachers we need in the church. Those were the best teachers, I thought, in seminary, and they are, they are the best teachers in the church. Well, how do you know if you're one of them? Well, if you're one of them, you're not just trying to get through the lesson, but you love Jesus and you want your students to love him too. You want to grow in knowledge and skill, but you also want to grow in holiness and in obedience. You find that the truth you study and teach not only satisfies your mind, but it warms your heart. You're not just teaching about Jesus. You're a disciple of Jesus. Now, that's an ideal. I know there are other times, for those of you who teach, you know, when you're just excited to be able to have something prepared for Sunday morning, you, you had the Saturday night fever and Sunday morning somehow came together and you got through it. To be honest, I've had days like that in the pulpit. I'm just glad to have been here and gotten through it. But as a rule, we want to be more than that. We're not just teaching, you know, not just working toward teaching the next lesson. We're seeking to grow in a more comprehensive and broad way, not just in our knowledge about Jesus, but in our discipleship of Jesus and in our following him. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Not just a scribe, not just a teacher, but a disciple. Not just learning, but growing. Not just teaching others, but discipling others. Not just wanting to impart information, but to see lives changed. That's what we want. That's what Jesus is describing here. Well, there's a third criterion Jesus mentions here. Not only should the teacher be someone who understands biblical truth, not only someone who is growing to maturity through that truth in the kingdom, but third, a teacher of the scriptures sees the big picture. They see how it all points to Jesus and how it is all centered around Jesus. Now, any of you children who participated in our vacation Bible school know the song whose refrain, and I won't sing it, I'll just give you the words. You can thank me later if you like whose refrain goes this way. They all point to Jesus. The stories, the lessons, the lives, they all point to Jesus, our Lord, who from death did arise. What stories, what lessons, what lives? Well, what we read in the Scriptures, the teaching of the Scriptures, the biography, men like Daniel, men like Levi, men like David. What is it all about? Well, what it's about is this. It all, they all, all of that in scriptures point to Jesus. You see, those words are more than just a clever chorus in vacation Bible school. Those words are the key to understanding the Bible. Because until you see that all of the Bible, from Genesis all the way out to Revelation, point to Jesus, are well, you missing it? 
you've, you've misunderstood the Bible. You didn't get it. Well, in verse 52, Jesus says a disciple teacher is like the master of a house who brings out of his treasure, the word there uh, from which our word thesaurus comes, a thesaurus is a treasury of words, brings out a tre- from his treasure what is new and what is old. What was Jesus talking about? Well, he gives us this mini parable of this homeowner, which in the context would imply someone of some means, who is able to bring out of his wealth various items, not to ogle them, not to gloat over them, not to show them off, but to distribute them, things to give to people in order to meet their need and to help them. Well, as Jesus tells this parable, the point he is making is this. He says a discipled teacher, growing teacher, someone who can take from his treasury, in this case his mind or his heart, can take from his treasury truths and insights and lessons into Scripture and impart them to others for their benefit and use. But what about what is new and what is old? Well, there's several ways of looking at that. Uh, certainly, as teachers, you want to uh, you you want to cover new ground while at the same time reminding and rehearsing old truths that have already been learned. But I think Jesus is talking about basically that point, but in a bigger way. What does he mean? Well, first rule in biblical studies is context. What has Jesus been doing? Well, Jesus has been teaching and, in fact, correcting the people's understanding. Of the kingdom. He's been teaching the true nature of the kingdom and who he is as the king of the kingdom. So he's teaching them something that for most of them at least was, was pretty new, something that was different, something that was going to require some adjustment in their thinking, what the kingdom means in light now that the Messiah has come. And so things have changed. And things are beginning to become clear as they've searched the Old Testament, trying to figure out the nature of of the the Messiah's kingdom. Well, what Jesus is saying is that all that the Old Testament spoke about points to and is fulfilled in Jesus, and because he has come, some things are going to be different. Some things will stop altogether. It will make a difference now that the Messiah has come. And so they had to adjust their thinking somewhat. What are some things that are different or some things that have stopped? Well, for one thing, we no longer have an earthly priesthood. Remember in the Old Testament, they had that priesthood priestly system. Well, why not? Well, Jesus is our great high priest who offered himself up as the once and for all sacrifice. He is the priest of whom all the Old Testament priests, even the best ones, were but imperfect shadows. Uh, We no longer have uh, an earthly monarch over the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why not? Well, Jesus is our king, the king of the church, He's the one of whom the Old Testament kings, even the best ones, were but imperfect shadows. They pointed to Jesus, but he was the fulfillment of that office. And we no longer have earthly prophets who go about and say, Thus says the Lord, because Jesus himself was that great prophet. In fact, God himself in the flesh, who declared the will of God, the message of his grace to us. And of Jesus, even the best of the Old Testament prophets were but imperfect shadows. And that record, that revelation is recorded for us now in the Holy Scriptures. So when Jesus says the teacher in the kingdom brings forth from his treasure what is new and what is old, he's basically saying the teacher understands the difference now that Jesus makes. The old is still important. 
We don't cast aside the Old Testament. It's, it's the foundation for the new. However, since the new has come in Christ, it affects the way that we see and understand the old. Messiah has come. It makes a big difference. It means you can't teach the Old Testament law without relating it to Jesus. It means you can't teach the Old Testament history and wisdom without relating it to Jesus. It means you can't teach the Old Testament prophets without relating it to Jesus. And honestly, sometimes that's easier, sometimes it's difficult. Some passages are are much easier to relate to Jesus than others. A virgin shall conceive and give birth to a child. Well, the, the fulfillment is fairly clear in Jesus. Uh, but other passages may apply to Jesus or point to Jesus in more obscure or indirect ways, or maybe only in terms of the broader context of what God is doing in the world, and yet the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. Jesus himself makes this point quite powerfully. Luke chapter 24, after his resurrection, he's walking with some disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they're discussing the recent events of Jesus' death and, and uh, his, his suffering on the cross, and not yet aware of his resurrection, although they've heard of it. Um, and Jesus, it says, began to teach them from Moses and the prophets all that was said concerning himself. Jesus taught them about himself from the Old Testament. Remember how Peter, on the day of Pentecost, got up in Acts chapter 2 and declared the gospel from Romans 3. Right? Wrong. Uh, Romans, of course, had not yet been written. In fact, Paul had not yet been converted. That would come later. He preached the gospel from the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. And so the teacher that Jesus is describing here is one who recognizes the new while at the same time valuing the old. Jesus and the new covenant being the new, with the old being the old covenant. If you teach an Old Testament passage, you must still teach a New Testament lesson. You know, you've heard of the rabbi test. If you teach an Old Testament text in such a way that a Jewish rabbi would be pleased with it, then you haven't taught the new. You haven't taught how that is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've taught only the old. But this householder Jesus is describing brings forth not only the old, but the new. Remember, it all points to Jesus. And in our teaching, in our understanding of the Scriptures, we should remember that. Well, I could see John Richards in the earlier service, chairman of our Christian Education Committee meeting, sort of getting uncomfortable. Because I could tell what he was thinking. He was thinking, well, after this sermon, we'll never be able to get anyone to teach anything because everyone will be totally inadequate and unable to do so. Well, take heart. Uh, We are inadequate and certainly uh, not up to the task in ourselves. But the good news is we're not by ourselves. God gives grace. The standard is high, the biblical standard that Jesus sets forth here. And yet Jesus does not call for perfection from us. We are a work in progress. Remember, the task requires adequate knowledge, not exhaustive knowledge. It requires that we're growing in knowledge, not that we have attained all knowledge. Whether you're teaching from the pulpit, whether you're teaching in a classroom or informally with a neighbor or a friend that you're discipling, uh, whether you're teaching your children in the home, God gives grace. He brings truth to mind. He helps us and helps 
apply those truths to those who hear. And so we look to him in help, in prayer. Uh, We want to be diligent to study the word, to be prepared when we teach others, but part of that preparation must include prayer, acknowledging our dependence on God, our need of his grace and help, our need of him to use his truths in the hearts of those who hear us. Uh, That's an important part of preparing is simply praying. It doesn't replace preparing, but it does accompany it. So we need biblically qualified teachers, but we also need dependent teachers, teachers with a sense of their own inadequacy, or to put it in terms of our Sunday night series in 2 Corinthians, teachers with a sense of their weakness and therefore the need of God's power. You see, teachers who know that, their weakness, know that no matter how knowledgeable they are, no matter how skilled they are, no matter how well prepared they are, they need God to work. They need God to take what they say and what they've studied and use it. So we don't set forth in our own strength, and the good news is we don't have to. God gives grace, and he is whipping those whom he calls to teach, and all of us as followers of Christ, to be able to fulfill what he has called us to do. Do you understand? Yes? Good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage, two short verses, but packed with truth. And Father, we pray that uh, they would not be discouraging or overwhelming, but encouraging. Lord, we all have so much more to learn, and yet we have this lifetime, and indeed we have all eternity to uh, study and ponder and search out and learn the riches of your grace in Christ and the glories of who you are. Father, give us a heart, whether we teach in a formal way or not, to want to know your word and to want to uh, be able to make it known to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.